incredible message last week. I wasn't able to be here, but uh, listen back, and uh, isn't, isn't John 17 so rich to, to hear God's heart for us, his people, in that powerful prayer? That's truly the Lord's prayer in John 17, and so we are following up on that this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, we are in John 18. And this morning, we are going to explore the first 11 verses of that text. So follow along with me. I want to read the text in to its completion. When Jesus had spoken these words, what words? The prayer, right? He went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word which he had spoken, of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that it would change us, that in it this morning we would see the majesty of the light of the world. Help me, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I remember uh, in 1984, I think it was, I was in a little island called uh, Viegas Island. So if you're familiar with Viegas Island, you can give me an hurrah. If you've never been to Viegas Island, it's just a slab of dirt and trees uh, somewhere out there in the water. And it was about 2 a.m. in the morning, and I was on a listening post, and they gave us these highfalutin gadgets, so I could imagine what the technology is now, but in 1984, they were night vision goggles. And so we strapped them to our head, and I had them on. So with these night vision goggles, I could look out into the darkness, and I could see things. Everything was kind of green, like this creepy green color through the night vision goggles. And you could see silhouettes. So I could see the silhouettes of the trees in the distance and the, the landscape. It was mostly just silhouettes, and I was just scanning. It was my turn to just scan the night. And all of a sudden, out of this, these night vision goggles, like the sky just like lit up. There was an explosion of light in my vision. I was like, what in the world is going on? And then as that light flared down, through those night vision goggles, almost a half a mile away, I made out the silhouette 
of a guy who had just lit a cigarette and was pulling on that thing. It's amazing. And that's what light does, right? Light shines best in a dark place. And we find ourselves in John chapter 18 entering into a dark place. And in fact, a dark hour in human history. And this place uh, that we know from the other synoptic gospels is called the Garden of Gethsemane was a dark place. It was a dark night. And at this moment in history, darkness had come. So John said, as he began his gospel in John 1 and 5, he said that the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And I I think this morning that we see John's viewpoint that though the darkness might be oppressive, the darkness has not and will not overcome the light of the world. So our main point this morning is this. That in the darkest hour, we're going to see the light of the world as it begins to shine. So as we proceed in our study this morning, I want you to see in the Gospel of John that the eternal word made flesh shines, first of all, in his concern for his disciples. So look with me once again at the first Verse of John 18. He says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden. That's the garden of Gethsemane. When he and his disciples entered, now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost, not one. You say, why did he repeat that? Because it's so important. And the word of God says it more clearly than I could ever say it. What a great moment that we have entered in the history of the world. Now, John, when you read his account of the passion and even of that last night going into the day when Jesus would be crucified, he he omits a lot of events that we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But he also adds some details that we do not see in those different narratives. So in this garden prayer, we know that that is omitted here. Jesus goes into the garden. He takes aside James, John, and Peter. He takes those, the innermost group uh, group of disciples, and he said, come a little deeper into the garden with me, and, and will you watch, and will you pray with me? 
And so Jesus is praying in agony. He's agonizing over not just the crucifixion. I think that's, that's enough for us, right? I'm going to be nailed to a cross. But he's, he's agonizing over what the implications were, that he would become sin. The holy son of God would take upon himself the sins of the entire world. All of the filth of our lives he would bear willingly. And he's agonizing and he's praying and he finds the disciples sleeping and he says, what? Just watch, watch and pray with me. The flesh and indeed is willing, but the spirit is weak. Come on, guys, pray with me. And, he, and he's praying and we're told that he prayed so earnestly and in such passion that he began to sweat and his sweat was mingled with blood. He agonized. And then he gets up from that prayer time and he finds them sleeping again, right? He finds them sleeping again and he says, could you not just watch with me for one hour? And he gets up resolved. This garden prayer. If it were possible, God, just let this cup pass from me. But then he says this, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he gets up with a different frame of mind, and we come to John 18 as he goes forth. So listen, when was the last time we saw Judas? It was just hours ago for the Passover meal. And Jesus had announced, hey, there's one here that's going to betray me. And they all said, is it I, Lord? Is it I? Is it I? They had no clue. And of course, Jesus hands him the sop. And then he says this, what you do, do quickly. And then the, the gospel of John tells us that Satan entered. Satan entered Judas. And that was the last time we've seen him, just hours ago at the Passover meal. And now... This child of hell returns and Jesus gets up from his prayer time and we see in Matthew 26 and verse 45, then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So, so this is what has taken place. The garden was a common place. It was a place that, that Jesus would, would retire to often. It was a place that Judas, as one of the 12, knew well. He knew where to find Jesus. And here comes Judas, and it says he has this mob with him. He has, in some gospels, it's called a cohort. Now, a cohort could be a company of Roman soldiers. So a lot of the Bible commentators will differ, and there's a lot of... Uh, really obscurity to how many men actually showed up. But we know it could have been 
upward to 600 just in the Roman cohort. It could have been less, but it was a, a huge band of Roman soldiers. It was a mob. It consisted of the temple guards, those among the Jews who kept the peace uh, to make sure that their things, I mean, we have security here, don't we? We have a security team at our church. So they had their own security team here. So they were there, the temple guards, the priests were there, Pharisees were there. The priests and the Pharisees, they didn't even get along. But they could all agree on one thing. They hate Jesus. And so they all show up, and it says they've got lanterns, and they've got torches, and they've got weapons. So it's a scene. It's night. Like, on a dark night, we have electricity. We have the, the glow of streetlights. The glow of the houses, there was no such thing as electricity. It's a dark night. It was probably a full moon in the air, but it's night, and, and they come out of the garden, and this mob is coming down the road. Now, have you ever heard 600 soldiers marching? They don't sneak up on you unless they want to sneak up on you. But they've got lanterns, and they've got torches, and they've got weapons, and they're, they're here to do business. They're here to arrest this cat, right? And so... Jesus does what? This one who just moments said, Father, if this cup can pass from me. Oh, if you could just take this cup away from me. But now he's resolved. And he went forth. He went forth to meet this mob. Hungry for blood, he went forth. No fear. Utter resolve. Also, action. And he says to them, who do you seek? Who do you seek? Now, there's a reason for this, and I want you to stay with me as I, as I say that. And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And isn't it amazing? Stunning what happens next, but we're going to get back to what happens next. I want to talk about what happens next a little further. But he, he queries them on whom they're seeking, Jesus of Nazareth. So there's no doubt that they had warrants. I have a warrant for this guy's arrest. Who's the warrant for? It's for Jesus of Nazareth. I've got papers to arrest this guy. Who? Jesus of Nazareth. This is a legal document, right? So we see Jesus' concern in verse 8 where he says, uh, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, do what? Let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. So he, he has concern. He's in the middle of being arrested. He's going to be arrested and tried. He knows all things that are going to happen. And yet he goes forth and he's concerned about his disciples, that they would go free. Who are you seeking? Twice he asked them that question to make sure you're not seeking these guys. You don't have an arrest warrant for these guys. Let these guys go. Jesus cares for his people. He cares for you. He cares for me. He has concern. Listen, he cared more for the welfare of them than his very own. That is self-sacrificing love. That is astounding. And in John 17 and verse 12, in that prayer, Jesus said this. He said, 
to the Father, Father, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. He's guarding us. He's got a shield about us. He is our shield. And he's our glory. He's the lifter of our head. I kept them. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. All of, already, what he said an hour earlier, maybe less than an hour, already it's considered scripture. That the scripture might be Fulfilled. What scripture? John 17 and 12. Fulfilling prophecy. Only God can love like that. Amen? Sacrificing love that is astounding. Pastor Tim said this to us in Staff Chapel Tuesday. Let me see if I can get it. Y'all ready? We're going to say it real fast. Your talk talks and your walk talks. But your walk always talks louder than your talk talks. And Jesus' walk talked. His talk just didn't talk, but his walk talked. He went forth. He went forth because he was concerned. We see in John 10, verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice. Do you hear his voice? He says, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Not a Roman cohort, not the temple guards, not the Pharisees, not the priest, not Judas, not the Satan who fills him at this moment. No one will snatch them out of my hand. He is our shepherd. We shall not want. His rod, his staff, what do they do? They comfort us. They protect us. He leads us beside the still waters. Still waters run deep, and that's the dangerous spot. He's there with us. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He is the good shepherd. He goes forth because the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Do you see his concern? Do you see him shine? See him shine. In Isaiah 43, in verse 1, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, he, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Faith is so important. And our good shepherd knew that at that moment, the faith of his disciples could not withstand the arrest that they would be subjected to. He knows where we are. It would be, but remember he, made, he met with Peter and he said, Peter, 
Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I'm praying for you that your faith fail not. And so there's just a truth right there, right? He will never give us more than we can bear at any moment. Right now, what you can bear, he will never give you more than that. He won't give you more than you're capable of bearing. He cares for you. You can cast all your care upon Jesus because, church, he cares for you. So he shines in his concern for his disciples, and he shines in his concern for us. And next, look with me as we see that he shines in his compassion for his enemies. So John 18 and verse 10. Then Simon Peter, oh, Simon Peter, having a sword, mm, he drew it and he struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Peter, impetuous Peter, bold, hot-tempered Peter, pulls out his sword and slice. I have no doubt that he was aiming for the middle of his head. He didn't want to cut his ear off. He wanted to split his head wide open. But I guess Malchus was pretty, uh, pretty responsive there, and his life was saved. He lost his ear. Mm. 1 John 1 and 5, this is the message we have heard from him, the same John writing. And he says, we proclaim it to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And do you see it? In this dark hour, the light of the world shines. Do you see him shine? In the Gospel of Matthew, he tells Peter, Peter, put up your sword. Put it back up. You live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. In Luke, we're told that Jesus took the ear and he placed it back on Malchus's head and he was instantly healed. The miracles of the light of the world on this darkest night. And not only that, but what do you think would have happened if that ear would have stayed on the ground? Peter would have been executed with Jesus the next morning. Because that would have been a capital offense. To strike the servant of the high priest, you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. So Jesus not only shows a compassion for Malchus, his enemy, but also the concern once again for Peter. Malchus. I scratched my head and I said, why, why the name? Why even mention his name? Like, we don't have pictures of Malchus, right? But Malchus counts. Malchus is a man. Malchus has probably got a wife and kids at home. Malchus matters. The Roman soldiers that night, they matter. They're just doing their job. 
I can imagine if I would have been stationed in Jerusalem and you told me that I had to go out and arrest some guy at 2 o'clock in the morning, I would have been mad. This is not my night. I've been up working all day, and you want me to go out in the middle? and, And what? They were just doing their jobs. Malchus matters. See him shine. You matter. You matter. This morning, sitting here, I want you to know that you matter. You see, every one of us, we can't say, like I'll see some, some people will answer this question, how long have you been serving the Lord? All my life. You have not served the Lord all your life. I beg to differ. We were enemies. We were separated from God. We were, there was an intense hatred caused by our sinfulness towards the master. We all were enemies. You and I were Malchus. And Malchus matters. We needed to be reconciled to God at some point. I was not reconciled by my grandpa's faith. I was not reconciled by my mom and dad's faith. I was reconciled by the blood of Jesus Christ when I came to realize that I was at war with him and that I needed my sins forgiven. I was Malchus. You were Malchus. In Mark 6, verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. How many times do you go out and you see a great crowd and you think ill of them? Jesus looked at those crowds, and he had compassion on them. He saw sheep without a shepherd. In the darkness of Gethsemane, Malchus mattered. Matthew 23 and verse 37, he stands over Jerusalem, and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as hens gather her brood under their wings, and you were not willing. Such compassion for the lost. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? We pick up the sword and we swing. We're Peter's this morning and we're Malchus's this morning. Honestly, we've all been a Peter in this story and we've all been a Malchus in this story. Not only have we been Malchus, but gosh, we've been Peter's. In Matthew chapter 5, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Don't swing a sword at them. Put their ear back on. And he goes on to say that you may be the children of your father. That's what he is, son of his father. So he shines in his concern for us Peter's. And he shines in his compassion for us Malchuses. But next we see that he shines in his claim to divinity. 
So in John 18 and verse 4, look at it again. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell on the ground. I am the sacred name for God. Theologians call it the, tetra, the tetragrammatron, or Y-H-W-H, no vowels. We pronounce it Yahweh, or we translate it Jehovah. I am the sacred name. He spoke his right to divinity. And when he did it, what happened? They all, all fall backward to the ground. Now, let's put flesh and bones on this story. Here's a, here's a crowd of, of as much as a company of highly trained Roman soldiers, temple guards, priests, Pharisees, this whole mob, and Jesus says, who do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. And they topple backwards. Just imagine that scene. And they still didn't run. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he claims that title even in the garden, in the darkest night, see him shine. Simply speaking, Jesus is God. You have to know him as more than a teacher. You have to know him as more than a prophet. You have to know him as more than a priest. He is God. Don't leave today in unbelief. Jesus showed them without a shadow of a doubt and claimed that he was God. And he would say to Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter's answer, you are the Christ of God. What's your answer this morning? Who do you say that he is? In John 1 and verse 1 that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify it to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I beg you this morning, see him shine. We see him shine in his concern for us Peters. We see him shine in his concern for Malchus and his compassion for Malchus. We see him shine as the great I am. 
And next, look with me as we see him shine in his commission from the Father. So in verse 11, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, put your sword away. Put it into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? He rose from his prayerful agony, resolved, determined, resolute, obedient. See him shine to do the will of God. This cup, Father, I will drink it. Cup? We're not talking about a cup of Judas's treachery. We're not talking about a cup of Roman tyranny. We're not talking about a cup of religious bigotry. We're talking about, are we talking about the cup of Satan's wrath? No, we're talking about the cup of the wrath of Almighty God, his Father. The cup. that will bear the wrath for our sins, and he goes forth from the garden to accept it. It's a culmination of Genesis 3.15. He says in the garden, I, God said to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So Satan had been bruising some heels for some time, but right now, at that moment, the head was about to be crushed, and he went forth willingly to do it. It is the hour of the power of darkness, but the light of the world shines bright. You know, like that night on Viegas Island, a mere lighter in a cupped hand, illuminated an entire platoon. We, brothers and sisters, are the light of the world. We cannot be hidden. Let's be resolved to reflect that eternal light. In Psalms 139 and verse 23, I read it earlier. Let this be our prayer as we conclude. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I pray that God's light would expose our weaknesses like it did that night on Viegas Island. And I pray that as he shines in his concern for others that we would shine bright in our concern for our brothers and sisters. And as we see him shine in his compassion for the lost, I pray that we would shine bright in our compassion for the lost of our community. And we see him uh, shine bright in his, de his declaration of his divinity, his deity, his majesty, let us shine bright as we proclaim that good news to this community. And as we see him shine bright in his resolve to take that cup, the cup of the wrath of God, and drink it completely, let us be resolved to take up our cross.
daily and follow him. Amen.